This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. As I've mentioned elsewhere, other parts of my work and personal life are demanding more of my time at the moment, so my regular publishing cadence has really been thrown off, especially as it relates to being able to book and record interviews with, in particular, authors. So it goes. That's just the state of of my day-to-day life right now. And while I'm working on some other things that aren't quite ready for prime time, in the interim I thought I'd share part of my current reading list. So uh, I publish a little bit of, of this over at the Post-Evangelical Post, which is my newsletter, and I want to share a little bit about a few books that I'm reading right now. The first one is Asian American Apostate by Scott Okamoto. His memoir of teaching at an evangelical university is incisive and insightful. I said as much when I provided a blurb for the book, which, disclosure, we're friends. Okamoto shares the difficulties, frustrations, and joys of being tasked with teaching in a place that has such firm rules and expectations about what is deemed acceptable. It gives substance to the spoken and unspoken cultural pressures of evangelical higher ed and highlights the ways whiteness permeates and governs such spaces. I'm rereading the book in advance of an interview that Scott and I will be doing for this show. It really resonates because, as uh, someone who went to a Christian college, one that is very similar to the one that Scott worked at for so long, it brought up a lot of the same sort of things that, that I experienced, but from the perspective of an instructor and an instructor that is also clued into a number of the problems uh, that exist in those spaces. I want to quote a little bit, though, from an excerpt. Quote, The point about the students and their ability to change is equally true about my own misconceptions about people. I had been burned so many times by zealous students bent on correcting their evil professor. I sometimes forgot that these were young, developing minds. To be sure, many of them were lost causes with no hope of ever thinking for themselves or escaping their ultra-conservative views, be they political, theological, or both. But no matter how intellectually atrocious the views and thoughts expressed, there seemed to be no way of predicting where a given student would be at the end of a semester. And when I read that passage from Scott, I, I thought about how Deconstruction, this thing that that we refer to um, so often these days, it's not inevitable, um, but it also can pop up in the most unexpected of places. The the thing that sort of starts someone along their own journey of questioning the the framework that's given to people in conservative Christianity, especially white evangelical Christianity. Um, and what I loved about Scott's book is just how much he incorporated uh, so many anecdotes from the classroom, because that is a place where if you are with the right instructor and on the right topic, you can have your world expanded in ways that you, you, you don't expect. And that is invaluable for people 
in these spaces. So I do plan to talk to Scott uh, and have a full-length interview. Uh, It's just a matter of scheduling, and that is entirely on me. The second book I want to talk about is one called The Flowering Wand, Rewilding the Sacred Masculine by Sophie Strand. For a variety of reasons, the evangelical example of masculinity didn't resonate with me because I couldn't perform it, and often didn't want to even if it would afford more acceptance in male spaces. Sophie Strand's book, The Flowering Wand, builds upon books like Bell Hooks's The Will to Change, and where Hooks highlights the emotional consequences of patriarchal masculinity, Strand utilizes mythologies, stories, and fables to expand what the masculine means and reframes it as something less concerned with asserting dominance than with fostering growth and seeking exploration. Here's an excerpt from The Flowering Wand. Quote, Climate collapse will not be solved by techno-narcissism. Patriarchy will not be cured with shame and guilt. Racism cannot be cut out of our brains with a sword. Neither can we escape the system by running to the forests. The wounds of patriarchal capitalism live in our hearts, and they will fester whether or not we sleep under an open sky. Instead, I want to offer the wisdom of Dionysus' probing. Interrogative vine. What if we looked to plants for advice on how to revolt? What if we asked the animate everything for slippery suggestions? I am always drawn back to that life-affirming quote from activist Tony Cade Bambera. Quote, The role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Responding to this approach, feminist writer Adrienne Marie Brown invites us into pleasure activism. How can our pleasure, our vine-like questioning and probing of the system, begin to confuse the systems that constrict us? How can we, like Ivy, begin to encircle the hand that holds the sword until it is so tightly bound it can't help but drop its weapon? I really love this book. Um, Each chapter is a different sort of exploration of various myths uh, or other types of stories that have cropped up and using the sort of uh, the metaphor of, of fungi and the way in which they are extremely local and responsive to their to their particular environment. Um, Sophie Strand posits this theory that these various metaphors, these various mythologies, um, were rooted in a place, and I, I, I'm certain that that has been echoed elsewhere. Um, but it is very uh, successfully expressed through their writing. And there's one other quote that I want to add to this. Uh, I am reading some of the things that I was, that I had highlighted in, um, in my post on the post-evangelical post. Uh, but I want to add one more to this episode, which is another expansive sort of view of how we talk about gender or how we think about these things. Quote, The opposite of anthropocentrism is not any divine gender. The opposite of anthropocentrism is everything. And just as an aside, that's capital E, everything. 
and what a tender, beautiful thing it is to walk outside on a bright spring morning. Swaths of clementine light wash the pollen from the bricks of a nearby building. The robin's song is like the key turning in a lock. A handful of doves float down from the red-green cloud of a newly foliated maple tree. What a relief to realize that, unlike Adam and Eve, we haven't been severed from the garden. The everything still includes us. The everything is us, but it needs something in return. It needs us to melt our ideas of sentience as a purely human property, or as a purely animal property, or as a purely individual property. Relationships are sentient. Anima as the inhalation, carrying molecules and spores and pheromones into our bodies from the landscape. And then we exhale, sharing cells that have clung to our deepest cells, slept inside the pith of our blood. With every exhalation, we decant ourselves back into the world. And there's a few books, and there's at least one or two books that are on the market right now about re-enchanting the world uh, after the supposed disenchantment of the world that came as a result in the West from the Enlightenment and things like that. Um, and I think that 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 is the sort of thing that Strand is also capturing in their work here. The next book I want to talk about is one called Finding the Fool by Meg Jones Wall. This is one I heard about through Gina Cadlick, uh, a prior guest on the show's TikToks. And I'm in this stage where a lot of spiritual things don't really resonate with me as they once did. Those nerve endings right now are just shot. That being said, I still remain very fascinated with symbolism and metaphor. And tarot is chock full of it. Um, So the book... Finding the Fool by Meg Jones Wall um, focuses on tarot. And I also appreciate that just as the Enneagram before it, a lot of ex-evangelicals have turned to tools like tarot to become familiar with intuitive knowledge that um, that may have been expressed as off-limits when in various ways white evangelicalism teaches us to not trust ourselves. Um. And so Finding the Fool, I sort of see as my personal one-on-one course into the tradition of the tarot. And the Fool is one of the cards of the tarot. And I want to share one excerpt from this book. Rather than seeing the Fool as a naive figure of fearlessness, as someone with no concept of pain or struggle or disappointment, we should give the Fool credit. They acknowledge their doubts their lack of experience, yet choose to act in spite of the unknowns anyway. This is the energy of the radicals, the rebels, those that exist outside the binary and are willing to break the rules. The fool knows that their calling is unconventional, but they also understand that this wish has become so central to their identity that they simply have to reach for it, have to act. Their desire pulses in every heartbeat. It cannot be ignored or denied. I'm also listening, finally, to uh, an audiobook uh, from the, called The Heartland by Kristen L. Hoganson. It's this fascinating look at the history of what we now call the Midwest and why it's now associated with the heartland. 
as a lifelong Midwesterner, I have a well-worn chip on my shoulder about being considered a flyover state, as if culture and history doesn't doesn't and did not happen here. But more importantly, books like this and learning history like this is also valuable for me as a way of reckoning with whiteness. I think one of the things that people discount the Midwest for is that there is seemingly this lack of history in air quotes about this space. But really what was done, it was through uh, colonial settlement of this space by white settlers. The history that was here was removed or or um, this is something I, I struggle to 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 express properly. Um, the indigenous knowledge, the indigenous populations here, they were removed. Um, and those that knowledge is still there. And it's not something for me as a as a descendant of white settlers to appropriate, but it is one in which I should develop understanding of and um, and to not run away from that history. So much of um, the sorts of conflicts that are that are so present in our society right now, the things that are being pushed in in states like Florida is a willful denial and a refusal to reckon with history. And history is by and large the thing that you need (laughs) in order to not repeat it, Um, in order to understand how this world got the way it is. And it's better to pursue the truth than to willingly accept a lie. So I appreciate books like this, even if they do, especially because they do, push those buttons and force the readers to reckon with those things. Um, I'm in a place in the book where a lot of it is about agri, uh, you know, it's about um, how what is now the Midwest was the frontier for, for a very long time from the colonial perspective um, and was the West instead of the Midwest. Um, and what does it mean when that was removed, but then later was reappropriated and, and then given another sort of uh, colonial assignment and being representative of American goodness. And what does that mean? Um, it's a, it's a lot to reckon with and it, but it's, it's valuable. And I know that I've just been talking and if you made it this far into this episode, um, I've just been talking and talking about about books, and I have to tell you that um, this is this is really what animates me is is reading the work of authors, talking to authors about their work, and it it has pained me that I haven't been able to do that in the way that I would like to with the. <laughs> with the regularity that I would like to because of these other things taking priority. Um, 
So yes, this is certainly an off-the-cuff episode. This is certainly one in which um, this is very impromptu, but I am trying to not be precious with this uh, with this podcast feed and at least have a regular touch point. I am I will tell you as I've as I've said before this right now um, I, I'm doing this um, on my own uh, I and I don't have additional funds right now to to pay an editor to uh, so all of these things are sort of contributing to there being less content right now um, it is certainly uh, a, a difficult a difficult time and I don't really care to get into it on the air um but if you think of me and uh and mine uh, i would appreciate it and i do hope that that things will settle down will improve and that i'll have more things to share with you in the coming weeks but this is the stuff these these books these are the things that that fascinate me that that drive me and if you appreciate any of the prior interviews that I've done with any authors please share those with friends and family subscribe to my newsletter postevangelicalpost.com it's a custom domain but it is a substack uh, you can subscribe for free or for $5 a month $5 a month will get you ad-free podcast feeds and some exclusive writing, some things like that, additional writings. Um, oftentimes what I do uh, is things like this. Uh, this is more in line with the supporter podcast that I that I do um, called Pep Talk, which is unscripted, sort of me talking about, about various things. And generally just as this one will be is under 20 minutes so if you enjoy any of this please uh please let people know and i will be back with uh future episodes soon thank you for listening check out all the other podcasts from irreverent media group over at irreverent.fm thank you very much